0: say Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. Say Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. What are they? They're the Gospels. That's right. Now, if you read a story about Jesus, many times a story will only be in a book. In other words, like like Matthew might have that story. Occasionally there's like, a story in Matthew and Mark. And then sometimes you'll have a story that's in all three books, or it'll be in John, it'll be in Luke, and it'll be in Mark. Sometimes a story's in all four. Occasionally, rarely, but there's a story that'll be in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. I'm going to share with you today two stories. and Both of them are shared in all four Gospels, which means it must be a really big deal. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John have both of these stories today. Now, it's Palm Sunday, and I'm going to read for us the scripture where we get that from. And um, I just happened to chose Matthew. I could have chosen Mark. I could have chosen Luke. I could have chosen John. But everybody in the story is trying to figure out who Jesus is. So here's Matthew chapter 21, verses 1 through 11. As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethpage on the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two of his disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and at once you will find a donkey tied there with her colt by her. Untie them. Bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, say that the Lord needs them, and he will send them right away. This took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. Say to daughter Zion, See, your king comes to you. "'Gentle and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the fowl of a donkey. "'The disciples went and did just as Jesus had instructed them. "'They brought the donkey and the colt and placed their cloaks on them for Jesus to sit on. "'A very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road, "'while others cut branches from the trees, and they spread them on the road. "'The crowds that went ahead of him and those that followed shouted, "'Hosanna! Hosanna to the Son of David!' blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heaven. When Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred, and they asked, who is this? And the crowds answered, this is Jesus. This is a prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. This is a great story because everybody in the city is trying to figure out who Jesus is. You've had to to do that same thing. Everybody in this room has had to either ask that question, or you're still trying to figure out who is Jesus? In that city in Jerusalem, what's so cool about that story is the Romans were trying to figure it out. Pontius Pilate was trying to figure it out. The disciples were trying to figure it out. The crowds were trying to figure it out. Everybody in the, in the city was trying to figure out who in the world is Jesus. Now, where did the whole palm branch thing come from? Well, the Maccabees, 200 years before this, had a revolt. And the Maccabeans, good Jewish guys, had a revolt, and they started waving these palm branches, which meant, somebody save us. We need some kind of a military revolt. We need some kind of a military leader to come into the city, save us, save us, save us now. So it got started a couple hundred years before this, and when Jesus comes into the city, now you've got to get this. Because every time there were one of these major events, Pontius Pilate would come from the the water, Caesarea Maritime, come up the coast, and he would come into the western side of the city of Jerusalem. Now picture this. Here's the power of Rome. Here's Pontius Pilate with 500 Roman legionnaires. And you can just hear the clicking of the hooves on the limestone. You can hear the clanging of the shields and their their swords. You can see the brightness of the sun off of their helmets. Here comes the power of Rome into the western side of the city. And on the eastern side, the Mount of Olives, there's this little bitty Jewish carpenter on a donkey. Do you get this? Couldn't be any greater contrast. The power of Rome with Pontius Pilate coming from the west at the exact same time as this carpenter from the Mount of Olives is descending on a donkey. And everybody's trying to figure out who in the world is Jesus. And Jesus has got the whole city all stirred up. Now, this is something that you have to settle. Not everything in life do you have to settle. Not every issue that comes up in life is an issue that's worth settling in other words, like organic food or non-organic food. That's not an issue worth settling. All right. At least not to my son-in-law, to my son, and to myself. It might be to the women in my family, but that's not an issue that's worth settling. Not every issue do you have to settle. But a lot of issues in life you you, you have to settle. Now, what happens when you don't settle things? I can't reach a decision. I can't wait any longer. I keep coming to the same place, the same spot, and I'm not getting anywhere. I'm talking to a lot of people in this room today. You're having the same issues. You're going the same places. You're hanging out with the same people. You're getting exactly the same results, and you've chosen not to settle some issues in your life. Everybody in this room, we've all got some issues that need to be settled. At the end of the service today, I'm going to give you two or three minutes, we're going to sit here quietly, and we're going to settle some issues that are in our life. Let me just kind of get the party started with some suggestions, okay? <laughs> Maybe it's your approach. Maybe how you approach people isn't working. If you're honest, your approach is actually causing more distance. Not, it's not bringing people to you. Maybe there are some battles that you actually need to fight, but you've been ignoring these battles, and you continue to to pretend that if you ignore these battles and you pretend that by looking the other direction, that some of these things, they'll they'll just kind of go away. Or, or, Or maybe you haven't really settled how you handle conflict. Let's talk about this for just a minute. Do you handle conflict well? Some of you are conflict avoiders. And you will do anything you can to avoid conflict. But nothing ever gets settled that way. Others of you in the room are more postal and you go volcanic, right? (laughs) And so they call that passive-aggressive in psychology terms. You might be quiet for a while and then you might like go volcanic and just just explode. But but to be honest with you, have you settled how you're going to handle conflict? Everybody has to handle conflict. Conflict's not a bad thing. Conflict can, can produce growth. Conflict can get you further down the road. What about despair? Now, despair is very different than sadness. If we watch those images of those children in Syria who got gassed with their chemicals and are burning, that should make us all sad and, and, and angry. Okay? But I'm not talking about sadness. I'm talking about despair. What's the source of your despair? Why are you despairing? Why are you so, so, so sad all the time and you just can't, you can't quite climb out of this? And what do you do with your despair? Have you settled how you will handle it? What's the source of it? That's the first issue. But what will you do with it? Will you overeat? Will you overdrink? Will you medicate, fornicate? That kind of rhymes, doesn't it? Medicate, fornicate. Will you do things that you shouldn't do? H- how will you settle the despair in your life? And everybody's got to settle their ego. Everybody has an ego in the room, but you've got to settle, what am I going to do with ego? Is life going to be about me? And you've heard me say this before. Are you going to be the bride at every wedding, the corpse at every funeral? Or is life going to not be about you? Will life be about somebody else? How do you settle that? Or do you just keep talking all the time? Do you talk too much? Do you talk too little? What areas in your life right now do you know need to be settled and for whatever reason you keep, just like the baby, (laughs) you keep whining about it? (laughs) Thank you, I needed that, thank you. (laughs) The babies in the room distract me. I lose my train of thought. They really do. So how do you settle that? How how do you settle the issues of life? How do you settle some health issues? When when it comes to your health, are you ignoring some things that you need to be doing? Are are there some things that you need to be going to see and going about? But for some some reason, you've decided, you've decided, I'm just going to kind of check out with that. See, I'm going to let this breathe for just a minute. Are you a good listener? Or do you talk all the time? Do you assert yourself when you need to? Or are you a control freak? Nobody punch each other in the elbow right now, okay? You see, everybody in the room has got to settle some issues. What needs to be settled in your life? you're at the same spot, you're at the same place, you keep making the same decisions, you keep hanging with the same people, you keep going to the same places, and nothing ever changes in your life. Well, here's what happens if you don't settle issues. If you don't settle issues, look at this. If you don't settle issues, issues will unsettle you. They don't get better, do they? If you don't settle things, you can become more unsettled. Number two, look at the next one. Though not everything we face can be changed. Nothing can be changed until we face it. So as believers in Christ, we ought to be the most bold and courageous people there are because we got the Holy Spirit. Help us to change, to settle things. And when you do settle things, guess what happens? Look at, look at what happens next. You reaffirm your values, you find your voice, you develop your character, and you experience inner fulfillment. So why wouldn't we be settling things? Because we change and we grow and we mature. So here's a story today that changes everything. It's an incredible story out of John chapter 6. It's a story where they change everything and everybody, and it's a story that's public. And what I want you to notice in this series that we're doing, every one of these messages, Jesus does something public. When it comes to the Mount of Transfiguration, he took Moses, and he took Elijah, and Peter, James, and John, and Jesus got transfigured, he becomes a ball of energy just pure energy. And what happens then is he lights up all of Canaan, all the promised land, incredibly public. When Jesus healed the man who was born blind, you talk about a public event, everybody knew the guy was blind. Everybody knew the guy had been born blind. they seen him, they'd seen him beg. they seen him more blind. And now Jesus healed him. It was a public event. Last week, Griffin knocked a two-run homer over the left field fence as he preached. And he talked about raising Lazarus from the dead. It was public, Everybody knew Lazarus was dead, and Jesus did an event that was public. So here today, we have a feeding miracle. It's one of those feeding miracles that's in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. It's not a story about the little boy with five loaves of bread and two fish. I've heard some of the cheesiest sermon applications of this story you ever can imagine. It's not about use what you have. It's not about have a little bit more faith. It's not where we're going to get money to do something. None of those are the point of the story. See if you can figure out the point of Jesus' story in John chapter 6. Here we go with verse 1. Sometime after this, Jesus crossed to the far shore of the Sea of Galilee, that is the Sea of Tiberias, and a great crowd of people followed him because they saw the signs he had performed by healing the sick. Then Jesus went up on a mountainside, probably the very same place he did the Sermon on the Mount, and he sat down with his disciples. The Jewish Passover, that's a clue for us. The Jewish Passover was near. While Jesus looked up and saw a great crowd coming toward him, he said to Philip, where in the world should we buy bread for all these people to, to eat? It's like Jesus doesn't know, right? Look at the next verse. He asked this only to test him, for he already had in mind what he was going to do. I love that. I think Jesus does that to me all the time. He tests me, but he already knows what he has in mind, Right? He comes to you with a challenge, but he already has in mind what he wants you to do. Look at verse 7. Philip answered him It would take more than a half year's wages to buy enough. It'd take $20,000. It'd take 20 k to feed everybody. More than a half year's wages to buy enough bread for each one to have a bite. Another of his disciples, Andrew, Simon uh, Peter's brother, spoke up. Here's a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish but how far will they go among so many? And here's where preachers start on this cheesy application. It's got nothing to do with the fish and the bread. Okay. It's got all to do with Moses and Jesus. Look at the next verse. Have the people sit down. There's plenty of grass in that place and they sat down about 5,000 men. So there's 5,000 men, 5,000 women, 2.2 kids. I don't know. Somewhere around that vicinity, 25,000 people. Jesus then took the loaves, gave thanks, distributed them to those who were seated as much as they wanted. He did the same with the fish. When they all had enough to eat, he said to his disciples, gather the pieces that are left over, let nothing be wasted. So they gathered them and they filled 12 baskets, which probably represents the 12 tribes of Israel. In other words, Jesus is now Lord over all of Canaan, over all the Hebrews, over all the tribes. And, and uh, of the five body loaves left over by those who had eaten them. And then verse 14 says this. And after the people saw the sign, Jesus performed, they began to say, surely this is the prophet who was to come into the world. That's the point of the feeding story. The point is, who is Jesus? It's something that everybody in this room has to settle in your life. And Jesus is trying to say to these people, Moses was wonderful. Moses helped you eat in the desert. Moses gave you manna in the desert. But I'm telling you, I am not Moses. Moses you know, lived. Moses died. Moses was not God. But I am the bread of life. And what Jesus was teaching these people was so difficult for them to grasp and to buy into that they struggled. They couldn't settle this. Some of them couldn't settle who Jesus was, just like you. Some of you in this room have not come to the full understanding of really who is Jesus. Look what he says in John 6, verse 30. So they ask him, What sign then will you give that we may see it and we believe you? What will you do? And then they start quoting Moses. Our ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness. As is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus said to them very truly, I tell you, it wasn't Moses who gave you the bread from heaven. It was my father, My Father gave it to you, who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is the bread that comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Look what he says next. Sir, they said, always give us this bread. And Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. And Jesus is saying, you eat from me, though you die, you will live forever. You drink from my well, though you will die, you will live forever. I am the water of life. I am the bread of life. I am the gate. I am the door. I am the Alpha and the Omega. I am everything. And they're like, what? You're greater than Moses? Yes, I am the Messiah, the long-awaited. I am the Son of God who is to come into the world and to save the world. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry. And whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. And they struggled with this. It was something they had a hard time trying to settle. Look at verse 41. John 6 verse 41 says this. At this time, the Jews then began to grumble about him because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. I am the bread of life, Jesus says in verse 48 again. Your ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness, but they died. But here is the bread That comes down from heaven, which anyone may eat and not die. This is incredible self-claims. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Whoever eats this bread will live forever. This bread is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. Then the Jews began to argue sharply among themselves. How can this man give us his flesh to eat? They still don't understand. This is the bread that came down from heaven. Your ancestors ate men and died. But whoever feeds on this bread, he or she will live forever. On hearing it, many of his disciples said, this is a hard teaching. and Some of them left. Some of them said he can't be the son of God. Some of them said he can't be greater than Moses. Moses gave us the Ten Commandments. Moses fed us the manna and the quail. Moses gave us you know, so much of the law. How can somebody some carpenter, be greater than our wonderful prophet Moses? Who can accept it? Look at the next verse. From this time, many of his disciples turned back, and they no longer decided to follow him. But verse 67 says this, you do not want to leave too, Jesus asked the 12. And Simon Peter said, Lord, to whom shall we go? See, Peter settled it. We don't have it all figured out, we can't make sense of everything. We can't connect every theological dot. But Lord, there's nobody better. You're the greatest one we know. Lord, to whom shall we go? You alone have the words of eternal life. We, we have come to believe and to know that you are the Holy One of God. So what do you do with this? What, what do you make of Jesus? And why is that a really, really big deal? Well, years ago, um, Josh McDowell wrote a book, and he said Jesus is either a liar, a lunatic, or the Son of God. I thought that was pretty good. He said Jesus is either a liar, or he was crazy, a lunatic, or he is the Son of God. And when you talk to people today who don't believe that Jesus was the Messiah, they do believe that he was a great moral teacher. The irony about that is a great moral teacher would not claim to be God, A great moral teacher would not claim to be the water of life or the bread of life. A great moral teacher would not claim that he had come down from heaven and was going to go back up to heaven. A great moral teacher would not tell things that were purposely deceitful. So you kind of got to settle this issue in your life. So when it comes to Jesus, what is it that we believers believe? I'm so glad you asked that question, okay? So I want to share with you three quick things in the bulletin. If you're a note taker, if you, if you want to fill those in, uh, that, that would just be great. But here, here's what we believe. This is what we teach. Um, yeah, let's do the C.S. Lewis quote. Let's go ahead. I like that. Let's do that too. C.S. Lewis said, I am trying to prevent anyone saying the really foolish thing that people often say about Jesus. And that is, I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher but I don't accept his claim to be God. That is one thing that we must not do. So C.S. Lewis, by the way, was an atheist, professor, became a Christian, and he wrote this, and he said, "...a man who was merely a man and said the sort of things Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic or the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and he is the Son of God or else a madman or something worse." And everybody in the room has to kind of put Jesus in a category. Either he was a liar, or he was a lunatic, or he really is the Son of God. So what do we believe? Here's what we believe. Number one, we believe that we have a problem. Christians believe the problem is that we have all sinned, and that separates us from God. And Romans 3.23 says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Now, I don't have to convince any of you in this room that you've said something you wish you hadn't said. Right? Anybody in the room? how many of you have said something you wish you hadn't said? Okay. Those of you who didn't raise your hand, we got a straight jacket and people in white coats. How many of you in the room have done something you wish you wouldn't have done? Yeah. Yeah. All of us in this room after about age what? Five? Okay. Six? We, we've all done something, said something that we, we, know, we know is a sin. And so the sin we teach separates us from God. That's the problem. The problem is sin, and it separates us from our relationship with God. It has to be settled. But here's the next part of this. What Christians teach and believe is that there's good news. And the good news is that God made a way. And Romans chapter 5, verse 8 says, But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And so Jesus knew we needed help. Jesus knew we couldn't get to heaven on our own. Jesus knew that his blood would qualify us for heaven. But number three, we have to do number three as well, and that is what Christians teach and believe, that God reaches out to you and he wants you to join his family. So John chapter 1, verse 12 says, Yet to all who received him, to those who believe in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. And so you have the opportunity to give your life to Christ. At the end of our service today, if you've never given your life to Jesus, there'll be prayer partners that will be down front and they will help you and facilitate this for you to walk with Christ and give your life to Christ and confess Christ. But many of you in this room, you are Christians. But there needs to be now a settlement. Where in your life do you keep repeating the same things? Do you keep saying the thing, same things? You keep going to the same places. You keep hanging out with the wrong people. Is there anybody in this room that needs to quit dating somebody? You keep dating the same people. Can you settle that? Can you settle a dating issue? Is there anybody in this room, you've got to quit marrying those people, okay? You keep marrying the same kind of person, all right? It's time to quit marrying her or them or that or whatever it is. You keep doing it. What about financially? You keep buying stuff to make yourself feel better. And the hole in your heart will never get filled by how many things you buy or how much stuff that you get. Are are there relational settlements in this room? Are there emotional settlements? You continue to just wake up every day with fear. Fear and anxiety just, just grips you. Every single day of your life. And quite frankly, emotionally, you're not any more mature today than you were a year ago. It's time to settle some of those things. It's time to make some decisions in your life that will propel you forward so God can use you even greater. Where in your life do some decisions need to be made? Because quite honestly, You keep making the same mistakes over and over and over and over again, and yet the Holy Spirit's going, ding, 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 back up, slow down, don't do that, don't go there, and you keep doing it again and again and again. So I want to give you a time right now to settle some issues, and there's 50 different titles of Jesus in the New Testament, 50 amazing titles. The Old Testament, those 39 books, they say a Messiah is coming. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John say that he's here. And by the way, there's 50 different titles of Jesus in those four books. And the rest of the New Testament tells us that Jesus Christ is coming again. So I want to encourage you right now to settle whatever it is. See, my job's really easy. The Holy Spirit's already talking to you about something I haven't even mentioned today. And you know that it's from Him. And you know that you've been ignoring it. And you know that you've been pretending that it'll go away. And you know it's time today to make some decisions. This needs to be settled. So I'm going to let you watch this video of scriptures and titles about Jesus. And during this time, I'm going to ask you to quietly sit there and converse with your Heavenly Father and make some amazing forward decisions for the king. Lord, we need courage. Your Spirit has clearly revealed to us what needs to be settled in our life. We just need courage. We need courage to confess Christ. We we need courage to to get baptized into Jesus in front of all our family and friends and get our hair all wet. We, We need courage to change our habits. We, we need courage to be able to make you a priority. Give us courage to settle our issues and grow us and change us and transform us. Oh, Holy Spirit of God, we're so grateful that you live inside of every believer. And so we ask today, that whatever decisions we need to make get us unstuck and let us move forward and make really good choices. Uh, Jesus, I'm, I'm absolutely convinced you are the Son of God. I am 100% convinced you are the Messiah. You are the Savior of the world. And I know that anybody in this room can call upon you can ask you to cover them with your blood and to cleanse them from all unrighteousness and to change and transform them forever. I know you can do it. And I know that you're willing. He you teaches, behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice, I'll open the door and come in. Have fellowship. I'll invite them in to have fellowship. I know you're willing. And I know you're able. So, O King of kings and Lord of lords, We worship you today. Now, all week long, let us think about this. And um, don't let us get distracted this afternoon or tomorrow. But all week long, the issue that you have burned indelibly in our minds and our spirits right now. Let us work on settling it. Let us grow. thank you for this family of friends and believers. And I just pray that right now you will give us amazing courage. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. So I'm going to ask our prayer partners to come down front. I'm going to ask you to stand at this time. And I'm going to ask you again to really think through what needs to be settled in your life. And I'm going to ask you to come either Saturday night One of the four services on Easter, invite your family, invite your friends, invite your neighbors. And I hope you have an amazingly great day. God bless you. See you later.